0: Welcome to the Reinventing Finance podcast hosted by Tom van der Lube and Nicolas Syr. This podcast is for anyone who's interested in the developments of the insurtech, insurance, fintech and finance market. Join us as we discover what some of the current industry leaders and decision makers are doing, the lessons they have learned, the main challenges and opportunities they identify, and how they see the current status of the insurance and finance industry.
1: Welcome everyone to yet another show of Reinventing Finance. Um, Tom and I are super happy to have been able to convince Florian to um, join us on our show. Florian, welcome,
0: how are you? Hi, nice to, uh, to see you uh, again. And by the way, thanks a lot for having me today. Uh, quite happy to be with you, sunny day, perfect uh, round table. So looking forward to the, to the discussion
1: i mean how great is that sunny day and all of us you know indoors on our webcams great you know, mm-hmm. life, can, life can go on um, florian why don't you briefly for for the very few <laughs> that might not um know you out of tom's and my respective network you know who are you what's your background and what cool things have you guys cooking up with astoria
0: Yeah, So basically, uh, my name is Florian, I'm 36, I've been working in the investment space for close to 15 years now, investing in tech startup at seed stage uh, since inception. Um, And actually, I've been navigating the uh, insure tech scene almost since inception as well, let's say around 2014, because I was at AXA Ventures back then. Um, And for a few years now, I'm running my own VC firm, Astoria VC, And long story short, we raise money from insurance companies to invest in insurtech across Europe. Uh, That's our scope. By the way, mentioning that we are investing at seed stage, obviously that's what we know how to do. And that's where I believe uh, there are the most exciting opportunities uh, right now in the insurtech scene. So um, quite, uh, quite excited about what might happen, uh, especially as the pace of innovation is accelerating uh, right now in that ecosystem.
1: So I think that's, I think that's re- really, inter- I guess two questions just for um, how would you define seed? know, maybe by ticket size, valuation, revenue, um, because it seems to be in, you know, a a, a pretty slippery. (laughs) Yes,
0: yes, yes, you're perfectly right. I believe that we all have our own definition of seed. So our definition at Astoria is um, post product. So the company needs to have a product. The the rationale is that we invest a lot in B2B technologies. And we believe that we have a very strong network uh, among insurance companies across Europe. So one way we try to accelerate the growth of our portfolio companies is uh, accelerating the sales process by connecting to the right people in our network. Uh, So having the product available um, and and ready to be sold, uh, that's a requirement. Meaning that we don't necessarily have any requirements in terms of revenues, but obviously, the closer you are to our scope and our network, the more flexible we could be on, the, uh, on this revenue part. Uh, and maybe to, to define it with a few figures, we usually take part, let's say, of runs below 2 million euros. I would even say 1 million euros most of the time. So we usually invest with uh, business engines, and that's a way for us to, uh, to be in startup before anybody else and creating a, a bit more values, because the uh, I, I think that we will uh, mention that uh, later on in the discussion, but the European market is not a huge market in terms of exit. So the cheaper we enter, uh, the more return we can deliver to, to our uh, investors.
1: And um, is the, do you have a specific thesis on the insurance market and Have you backed up all of those? Have you managed to back up all of those theses yet?
0: No, not yet, not yet. That's why we are building right now Astoria VC2, uh, to keep investing and and accelerate a bit the, the pace of investment. But long story short, our punchline since inception is investing in tech startup to build the next insurance generation. So long story short, we have, I would say, a B2B bias. Um, again, that, that's uh, based on our network uh, as we are connected with almost every insurance company across Europe or insurance player across Europe. Uh, we have, I, I believe an unfair advantage to help our portfolio companies scale faster. Uh, so B2B tech, um, and then we define, I would say three uh, topics. So obviously B2B slash enterprise software. That's one pillar. The second one is every technology Uh, related to existing business lines so here we broaden a bit the scope with a bit of fintech a bit of digital health smart home um, mobility long story short uh, existing business line and then a topic that we love i would say is new risks Uh, the rationale behind is that that's where incumbents are not that active yet and they don't have an unfair advantage because there is no historical data uh, like on existing business line and I, uh, or we put uh, in new risks uh, weather damages, cybersecurity, personal data, uh, freelancers slash gig economy slash new way of working, IT based on time. Uh, that's our last investment that will be announced in the next days. Um, so many topic crypto, for instance, is uh, around new risk. So long story short, uh, any risk or anywhere where incumbents are not, let's say, fully equipped, and where technology could help them um, cover these kind of risks.
1: I, I, w- and maybe it's covered. I was just, I would have expected embedded insurance or open insurance because you've been very active from very early on and public about that that, that topic. Is that kind of like a meta layer on top of everything, or um, have you changed your your you know have you? If you learn something that you might want to share, where you say, "Guys, this a better thing; it's not going to work out," so by all means, please share. No, no,
0: it, it's working uh, amazingly. I would say so. Uh, as you mentioned, we were uh, earlier believer in that trend because we uh, we've been uh, mentioning that trend since inception, writing a lot about indirect distribution, believing that platforms are the next insurance distributors. And by the way, we have invested in that space. We have invested in WeCover in Spain which is surging uh, like crazy. They just announced a, a huge partnership with Fnac, an e-commerce leader in, in Spain. Uh, that's a perfect example uh, of, of how this trend is, uh, is growing. And the rationale is that we put it, let's say at the edge of B2B slash enterprise software, because at the end it's a way to digitize existing players coming from the platform side though. Uh, and it's also covering uh, existing business lines because most of the products that are delivered there are PNC products, car, home. Um, it's, there is a bit of health, there is a, a bit of financial with payment protections and so on. So basically, th- that's a very good question. Where we put uh, embedded insurance, the answer will be at the edge of B2B enterprise software and existing business line, at least in our 3 pillar. Um, investment scope.
2: I just wanted to. I just wanted to add um, a question because uh, five days ago you did a post. Do you know the core difference between open insurance and embedded insurance? Perhaps you could tell something about that.
0: Yes, yes, that, that's a, a very uh, exciting topic, uh, and by the way, a hot topic as well because we've been discussing that topic uh, like crazy with uh, insurance companies since the beginning of this year. It seems to be the topic for 2021 in insurance, and um, I, I would say that first, it's it's a wording. Uh, insurance companies are talking about open insurance. The market, I mean, the platform side, is rather talking about embedded insurance. So that's the first difference. The second difference, though, and again, to be clear, that's the two sides of the same coin. And the the, the core difference is that on one side embedded insurance, you as a tech provider, you are enabling platforms. So your customer is the platform. Hence, you have a very short process to discuss and make it live. And and, and the process works the following way platforms are coming to embedded the insurance players, like we cover. They are saying, OK, I like to embed, uh, I don't know, a, a smartphone, a, a computer, e-scooter, bike, um, insurance product. Could you make it happen? Yes, obviously, they have the tech layer to, to embed the product. And then the company is coming to the insurance market saying, OK, here are the product I have ready to, uh, to be sold. Who is ready? to uh, take the risk or to uh, let's say um, yeah k- keep the risk so basically the insurance company in that word is just a carrier and is at the end of the process so it's rather coming to the market saying okay who is able to uh, to take the product to more money on the other hand open insurance is rather to sell SaaS product or tech products or tech solution to insurance companies. So first, the sales process is huge, like in any uh, insurance um, uh, topic. Not so bad. (laughs) Yeah, no, if you crack it, that's huge. But that's the major challenge in open insurance, it's to crack this. But let's say it's 12, 15, maybe 18 months on open insurance. Rather, on the platform side, it's live in three weeks. So, so that's not obviously the same, uh, same, um, same go-to-market, but on the other hand, uh, platform takes time because you need to uh, add uh, on top of each other new platforms to have new distribution channels. And each platform obviously takes a bit of time uh, to grow so that customer know that the product exists, um, start to be uh, clear uh, and, and, and confident that they can purchase the product online. On the other hand, when you sign with an insurance company upfront, you have significant revenues as a Sachs company. So it's two different business model. Um, And and again, I think that to answer your initial question on the core difference, I would say it's the sales process. Three weeks on one side, more than 12 months on the other one.
1: I I have two follow-on questions because it was interesting. I actually, The when I and it's it's I think that's one of the key things is when you go into a conversation and you use certain terminology, make sure you're talking about the same thing. Because if I hear open insurance, um, from the conversations that I've had, it was kind of derived from open banking Mm -hmm. and about providing access of you know transactional risk data on top of it. And then you have the Berlin group, you have different Groups And um, I found the case for open insurance versus PSD2 or open banking in terms of providing access to these products, providing, um, you know, is much less so. The way you've described it, absolutely get it, right? You you flip it on the, you enable the insurer from a technology point of view, or you um, basically do B2B2C distribution and then place the business. Um, but did you feel that open insurance as by my definition, or the, not my definition, the definition that I've gleaned from market, what do you think about that? I don't know, Tom, was that a little bit where you were going as well with open insurance and embedded insurance or was this something else?
2: No, no, it's just uh, like, like, like the discussion we just uh, have at the moment. And because I also referred to the, to, to the post-Florian Uh, wrote. And and we already did quite some uh, podcast interviews on this topic. So for listeners who are interested in that, uh, there are Simon Turren's podcast on embedded insurance, we had cover, etc. And you see that that, that you have, on the one hand, the, the whole discussion, but you also have, especially what we find interesting, Florian, is that in the banking industry, if you just take ING as an example, where they started to open up, uh, and now you have from a from a different point of view huh? corporation of cover and uh, Revolut and this kind of uh, uh, things or auto nova with get safe etc then they start to to experiment but if especially this fintech or insurtech companies start to cooperate then you have a totally different new 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 space yeah,
0: yeah, yeah definitely but but I believe that uh, and to make the the link between the, your two uh, two feedbacks I would say Obviously, open insurance—the word itself—is coming from the open banking, and I, I think that it's, it's why mainly corporates are using that that, that wording because uh, obviously they, they, they have seen what happened in the banking space—that the regulator obliged banks to open themselves—and then they just fear that this will happen in insurance. But our answer and what we see is that we don't need regulation right now to to have, to have uh, this kind of Uh, let's say, uh, open insurance slash embedded insurance happen, it's already Mm -hmm. happening at scale. Uh, You mentioned a cover with uh, Revolut. Uh, I mentioned earlier, we cover uh, with uh, Fnac. Uh, Today, I saw that in France, uh, insurance uh, based in Switzerland is partnering with Backmarket, a huge second-hand smartphone uh, and and IT devices uh, platform for uh, this kind of embedded insurance product. So basically, uh, I hear the point from corporate saying, "Okay, the regulation might happen. How should we react and so on? That's obvious. But the truth is that it's already happening very fast on the market, meaning that I believe that the challenge right now is not whether and when a potential regulation will happen. The question is for corporate, are you ready to answer tomorrow morning if a platform comes to you through an embedded tech, um, to, to, uh, to uh, let's say, carry uh, the product that they are offering. That's the major challenge. And the answer, unfortunately, for most of the market right now is no. But that's what is exciting uh, on my standpoint and for entrepreneurs as well, is that it's almost the zero for open insurance slash embedded insurance on the insurance side. So everything is to be built. Obviously, there are a few players that are already uh, quite advanced. I think about Wacom in France. I think about Baloise uh, in the German-speaking region. Uh, I think, uh, Nico, you, you, you are working with them, by the way. So these kind of players are a bit ahead of the market, but I would say that most of the other one are uh, just starting working or working on this kind of uh, API-based projects um, and the regulation, maybe it will happen. But by the way, it raised another question around the data themselves. Because if you have a look at the uh, the banks themselves, they had a huge amount of very specific data on their customer the transaction data. They say a lot about who you are and how you behave. So it makes sense to oblige them to say, okay, these are not your data, these are the customers. So basically you need to open the door so that uh, external players, third party players could leverage them. But if you have a look at insurance company, they have only poor data about their customer. Obviously they have the, the, the claim historical data for sure, but about you, who you are, how you behave, what's your level of risk, they don't know that much. So even based on that data challenge, I think that considering there will be a regulation around open insurance is highly questionable. Yeah. That's, that's my standpoint.
1: <laughs> and maybe just to your question from an investor point of view, um, so the I fully get the point of you go to a platform, you abstract this whole it's annoying, you don't even know who to talk to, Um, the product people might not be the same people who can issue an API, et cetera. It's it's a really painful process. And wrapping it up in an MGA has been historically a very great way for insurers to write innovative, not just business lines, but distribution plays. However, um, if we see, let's fast forward, and let's take cover and revolute as an example. now, we know Revolut is um, pushing down um, commissions cost, right? The whole emphasis is removing costs from the equation. Now, the usual MGA commission is 30 to 40%, and then maybe depending on how much they pass on. But what I'm getting at is at scale, especially when you are partnering with large platforms, what is your advice to b2b2c mgas to remain relevant and not be squeezed out as soon as the platforms have scaled and they're getting a taste of that sweet sweet recurring insurance revenue
0: yeah that's a very good question and let's see what happened but the truth is that we have two examples here you take a cover with um, with Revolut. A few weeks later, we saw Simple Assurance with N26, and the CEO of uh, N26 mentioned it uh, himself. He said, we, we usually do everything on our own. We even try this one on our own. The truth is that we need a, a third party to make it happen. So I believe that um, at the end of the day, obviously, this big platform could do everything on their own the truth is always the same it's exactly the same when you are mentioning okay uh, google can make it obviously they can oh. make everybody can make everything the truth is that so far this kind of player which are huge again uh, revolut and n26 they are huge and, and uh, i guess they have the team to make it happen uh, in insurance on their own the truth is that they are relying on a part an external player i, I think that the rationale behind is the network is both the technology it's designed for insurance so it's not a bank product that you uh, let's say cannot pivot or upgrade to make insurance happen it's insurance at core so i think it's a first challenge the second challenge is the flexibility that you get with such players because you can plug or unplug products every day and and you are not relying on one specific insurance company if you want Basically, you can have the best product or the best insurance carrier for each topic. You can have, I don't know, uh, insurance one on bikes, You can have insurance two on payment protection, insurance three uh, on computer protection. So long story short with this kind of plugs, because okay. that's how I see the embedded insurance. It's just a tech layer to connect platform on one side that have their own roadmap. And, and Revolut is one platform at the end of the day they have their, pla- their their roadmap. And on top of that, they are just adding a revenue stream. And by the way, the magical behind uh, embedded insurance is that for this platform, it's pure margin. So I hear your point saying that instead of having 70% of the margin, they could have 100% for sure, but they will have all the, 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 the cost and the pain. Here, it's pure margin. So you have either 70% margin or maybe 100% of the revenues, but the cost and the pain uh, in front of them. So is that exactly the same? I'm not sure. Plus it's a way for them to be very flexible. If a product doesn't work, they cut it, they try a new one. So it gives them, I believe, a flexibility that they wouldn't have to do it internally. And at the end of the day, it's pure margin for them.
1: So, and and I think, and I think that's, I think that's a very fair point. My, my point was less so around, can they build it themselves because (laughs) people, wholeheartedly, you know, underestimate that insurance is not just another Netflix subscription. (laughs) It's it's much more complex and do you really want to go down down that rabbit hole? But I was more going along the lines of two to three years in, won't the likes of Wacom or AXA beef up on the big revenue streams with APIs, just predatory pricing, whereby they'll just, cut out um, the, the, the middleman and deliver that same level of technology. But you've also given there an answer. I think the, the whole point about any mid... I mean, at the end of the day, any middleman needs to do more than one-to-one connections because otherwise the middleman is being cut out. You need to do one-to-many connection and that can be by aggregating multiple products from multiple carriers. It can be... We see this in the UK on um, car purchasing... Creating a panel of insurers if you have a market where a lot of is compared, and quite frankly, structuring international programs. Yeah. But it needs to be that, right? Because otherwise you're not a you're not a middleman and they're not going to pay you in indefinitely
0: that high margin. Yeah, yeah, definitely agree. And by the way, that could be another core difference between open banking and open insurance. Open banking, basically, you're coming from the insurance side, you're developing API or online distribution for them. And then you plug to a platform. But at the end of the day, the platform is kind of stuck with one insurance company. So maybe they can have all the best product on every topic, maybe. On the other hand, I believe that that's why we we definitely make the difference. And, And again, there are. Uh, In in Europe, we we spotted close to 25 startups operating in embedded slash open insurance. And the the, the difference is very tiny because most of the players are working on the two sides. But again, it's not the same. Uh, When you develop API for, I don't know, uh, any uh, insurance company, then you go to the platform and even the insurance company itself, um, they, 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 they are competing with this kind of embedded players, which are just a pipeline connecting multiple uh, insurance products. And, and what you mentioned is the perfect example. Why Revolut went with a cover, uh, at least based on what they announced publicly, um, I mean, cover, it's that day one, they were available worldwide. And I
1: think, and That's I mean, this, there's others, right? There was this recent post in. I think in, in Asia where they won a big pitch because of product um, opening, you know, offering multiple products. And I think the interesting thing, and then we can move into, into, into a different topic, what we actually seeing is that insurers are realizing that as well. We're actually having several interesting requests as this market is maturing. One, to suggest to an insurer to also, if required, offer third party products so the insurer being you know pipelining his own stuff but effectively mgaing and aggregating other parties products because they might not be the best manufacturer of something but to keep that you know think about all the product lines of an internet you know pan european banking operation it's mind boggling no insurance PL uh, can can cost effectively serve that and the other one is around internationalization. It's a le- especially, um, there's quite a few, I was quite astonished, could that be a right number? Like 300, 400 French mutuals? Could that be that it was that much?
0: Yeah, in the hands you have a lot of players. But right. it's like it a lot of means. French
1: mutuals <laughs> and a lot of um, these players are now, some of, they've, they've incepted the platform business, but as they grow internationally, they're losing them. Because they cannot do cross-border business. And it's so it's it's just interesting how that market market develops. Um, and, and thank you, thank you so much for that um, assessment. And I think the simple truth is, right, you need to continue working on it. And as in in a growth setting, there's always more to be done, but you need to continue growing with them, right? Yes. Yeah. Um I guess one thing to um to, to kind of just take a step back. On, on what you're doing with, with Astoria, right? Because aside from investing in, I believe, you know, like 10 startups, not all of them are public, you know, and returning, you know, hopefully sweet, sweet returns to your, to your LPs, you must have a near perfect pattern recognition about trends. You know, it's, I'd say it's much better market insight to see are there smart teams betting on certain developments, are there products out? Um, Is there a consulting side to your end? Because let's say I, if I was an insurance company, and I wanted to get into the embedded space or how to innovate products, shouldn't I come to you and say, you know, Florian or Jan, (laughs) um, hey, what's on the horizon? And can you make an assessment for me to, let's say, partner
0: or build? Yes, yes, definitely, So, uh, and and by the way, and quite interestingly, so we have our core activity, Astoria VC, uh, investing in startup at seed stage, but the truth is that since inception, first, uh, as a seed investor, we see almost every startup and even any entrepreneurs looking for starting a business in insurance. So even people that are not yet a company, are reaching out to us just to share a thought on the markets, uh, what we've seen, listen, learns, do's and don'ts on the market. Uh, I think it's highly related to our European footprint and the fact that we've been in that space since uh, 2014 or 2015, Um, So, meaning a long time ago. Uh, That's the first point. And the second point is that since inception as well, we have developed our own scouting tool. The rationale behind was, in my previous life uh, at AXA Venture, I was using PitchBook, CBinsight, Crunchbase. They are very good, but they are very very US centric. And they are very focused on startups that have already raised money, meaning that us at Astoria, we are investing in Europe, in startup at seed stage, meaning they have never raised money. These startups were not in these databases. Hence, we developed our own tool, and right now we have of our database, which is not on these players. And based on this database that we use for our own scouting, we started seeing an interest from the insurance player for not only investing in the company, because obviously that's the rationale with our investor. Our investor are obviously um, expecting financial return. But on, on top of that, and since inception, they are looking for insights of the market. And long story short, strategic return. So we've built Astoria VC as uh, and with this capacity to deliver strategic return on top of financial return. And the more we were engaging with the European market, the more we realized that many players that are not able to invest or that don't want to invest in a fund were interested in this knowledge. Hence, we have Uh, since uh, nine months, or something like that, a a new kind of activity. But actually, it's always the same, just a different branding. It's Astoria.io, which is a data slash scouting slash market watch uh, activity, what you call consulting, and where insurance company on very specific topics, they come to us and say, okay, uh, what uh, could we learn on claim management? Uh, With whom should we partner? on computer vision for uh, claim automation. Um, is there any specific uh, diabetes startup I should partner with? Uh, or any, any kind of this topic, we have the data, we have the knowledge, and that's what we are selling to them.
1: Mm-hmm. But
0: again, I believe it's, at the end of the day, exactly the same activity. Because scouting, it's our core activity as an investor. But that's what feeds our understanding of, of the market. We are discussing with, what, 500, 600 new startup per year, uh, purely in in insurance. Uh, So obviously, we we learn a lot about what's happening. And on the other hand, discussing and selling uh, things to insurance company help us understand their pain point. So basically, after that, Um, when I mentioned our network at the very beginning of the discussion at the unfair advantage to accelerate our portfolio, it's uh, related to that. The more we speak with insurance companies across Europe, the more we understand their pain point, the better we could be in accelerating our portfolio companies. So, and and by the way, everything I mentioned around um, uh, new risks uh, as a core pillar of our investment, this is related as well with our discussion um, with insurance company, reinsurance company, because we hear that they were not that able to cover this uh, topic because they lack data or they lack technology, and, and there is room here for um, buying solution uh, or partnering with solution instead of, buy- of buying or developing internally uh, the, the things. So um, I, I definitely think that the two are highly related to, uh, to each other, on the one side, let's say you have everything at Astoria VC, everything about what we see, and it's much more a, a push uh, because we are pushing content to our investor that could learn from what we see on the market. On the other hand, Astoria IO, the data company, is much more uh, a pull. So people are coming to us on a very specific topic where we have the answer. Or and I don't I- know if we have the answer, but at least we have the most exhaustive view on the European market.
1: Would that be fa- a fair assessment? It would be something similar that plug and play does? You know, you um, th- on that scouting piece or?
0: Yes, on one side, but the, the major difference I see is first, we have technology at the core of our business. Again, Astoria.io, there is technology as a layer. <laughs> Intelligence is on top of the technology itself. The only way to make sure that you see everything in Europe before anybody else is to have technology. That's our all, uh, automated scouting tool. So the first difference is that we have technologies at the heart of our two companies, uh, I mean, the investment fund and uh, the, the, the data-slash-scouting uh, company. And the second point is that we are doing only insurance. And we have been doing only insurance, meaning that we know very well insurance. We are not working on several topics. Uh, plus, our network is only Europe uh, and only insurance. Mm-hmm. So, I believe that for these three reasons, we are more powerful. And, and by the way, most of our customers, they are working time to time with plug play, plug and play, or TechStars of this kind of guys. They are a subscriber of PitchBooks and this kind of US-based uh, databases. What they are looking for when they reach out to us is make sure they see everything in Europe. And get a very specific knowledge on insurance.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, but Sorry, Tom. Um, I would like to to ask or to dive into this idea of innovation. I don't know if you're familiar with the innovation dilemma. Yeah. Uh, so, on the one hand, you can you can know what what will happen, or you can let's say you can ask Florian. Uh, can you show me what startups or what people or what developments are in a certain field? But that doesn't mean that you act on that. And that's described in this in this famous book Innovation, Innovation dilemma. Um, uh, so if you if you just see what what we find interesting, uh, Nick and I on, on on this whole insurance space, is that you have this whole banking uh, fintech space. Where you had, let's say, similar developments, because in the end there is not a huge difference between insurance and fintech. And if you just see that in all those banks there were also a lot of smart people uh, watching innovations, but segment by segment is disrupted. So it has been payments, just to take one of the first examples, and you can add another and an, an, a lot of other examples. What's your impression on 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 the on the big corporate insurance companies yep. because let's say our our idea is that let's say if if for instance cover and revolute just to take an example if they really are able to scale this without old legacy and with much faster speed on on decision making then then insurance space will exactly happen the same which also happened in fintech in the in the fintech banking space
0: Yeah, that's a a very uh, fair question, and and by the way, I love that book. I find it both uh, depressing because it was uh, written 25 years ago and still relevant, Um, but I I find it uh, very exciting as well because there there is uh, room for innovation in it. There is the answer. And the answer is, uh, sorry for the, uh, uh, for, for the, the conclusion, uh, if you haven't read the, the, the book, but I save you a few hours. Anyway, you should read it anyway. Uh, I'm, I'm talking to the audience, obviously, if you haven't uh, read it uh, already. But long story short, the, the path to innovation is quite clear, is either deliver a new product to your existing customers. And I believe it's very true in insurance. So if you are doing commercial lines, try to find new risks that you could cover. Uh, and, and, and offer these kind of products and, and protections to your existing customers. Uh, if you are doing PNC, uh, uh, just add new products um, to, to your, uh, to your uh, lines, or try to reach out to new customer segments on your existing products. So again, if you are doing PNC home, and you have an old uh, customer base, try to reach to students, um, or uh, I, I don't know, um, uh, for car, it could be exactly the same. Uh, if you are uh, insuring only a high-end vehicle, try to leverage technology to assess a broader uh, customer segment, uh, which are uh, low-cost vehicle or, or new segment, uh, electrical vehicle, autonomous car tomorrow morning. Uh, so, so basically, uh, I, th- that's what I believe is exciting. And by the way, that's what we are seeing happening right now in insurance company. I'm not saying that they are all moving, but... If we take them all one by one, they have a few projects. And and again, I think that one usual mistake on the market is to try to revamp everything day one. If that's the plan, we know the answer, it will not work. (laughs) Uh, So uh, I, I believe it's not worth trying. But if you take one part of your customer segment, one part of your product portfolio, then, first, we have many examples of insurance companies working on this kind of project. And we are seeing, seeing more and more success in the insurance space. And by the way, uh, that's that's why we are investing so much in B2B technology, is that we believe that insurance companies have strengths. Um, they have skills. Mm-hmm what insure tech should bring them or could bring them is the tech asset. Here, we believe there is a gap. And that's why we are investing in that space since inception, uh, saying, okay, um, and again, we are talking about building the next insurance generation in which we believe insurers will be there. But they will change. So technology will help them, again, either deliver a new product on existing customer segment or reach out to new existing um, customer segment on existing product so long story short just take one part of your business if you really like to make things change and do step by step by the way that's how startups are developing themselves they are not doing 1 billion of revenues day 1 uh, this is the exponential curve uh, and that's exactly what we are thinking as an investor. That's exactly what you as an entrepreneur are building. It's this exponential curve. So there is no reason corporate shouldn't act differently. The truth is that if you'd like to revamp everything, it's impossible. And here, back to the innovator dilemma, uh, where there are examples in many topics. Um, but I, I, again, uh, I mentioned Wacom or Balois, these guys, have been upgrading step-by-step their internal processes. I have a few examples in mind here in France with tier one insurance company that are all working on this kind of embedded slash open insurance on very specific product, uh, home for student, uh, car, uh, uh, on demand, this kind of thing. So obviously, it's not that visible. But it's happening. And the last point is how to measure innovation. I think that one major mistake in insurance is to compare stock with flow. Insurance companies say, OK, InsurTech doesn't work. Why? Because they have millions of customers and they compare it to hundreds uh, 100,000 of new user InsurTech are gathering. But the truth is, if you start comparing flow from corporate to InsurTech, here, there is a competition, and the example I usually take in France, for instance, LUCO, uh, the biggest um, B2C insure tech startup in, in France, last year, they uh, gained on one product, home insurance, more customer than the, tier, uh, the, the top three mutual that are multi product mm.
2: In
0: terms of new customers, They are competing with insurance companies. So for internal project, I think at corporate, it should be the same comparison. Don't compare internal new project uh, on innovation with the stock. Compare it with the flow and new customers. How many customers are you gaining on this innovation project compared to how many new customers you're gaining with your, um, let's say, regular business? That's the right way to compare it. And by the way, we are working with a few of these guys. The reason why we accepted working with them is because they had this mindset. They they were uh, having a business plan with an exponential curve, um, meaning that they had understood that for a long period of time, potentially, the figures will be low. I I think that's
1: conscious that we're running the risk of running a little bit over but um, I, I, I would love to dig in because i think that is one of the critical elements here and i want to kind of two things i think um, exactly what you've stated how do you measure success yeah. is key now i think um, it's it's and i love this analogy actually of stock versus flow and you know um but it still then requires some form of what is a customer worth right what is what is that worth now i found um because the other we've been on the other end where it's like oh success is if we've shipped something and the the world is full of live products that don't, then don't see the light you know don't gain that traction and then also don't help they actually counterintuitive to change because they give this proof point around see i told you so now what i found is um I think there is a number out in the market. Um, and I'll use um, Swiss Re, um, the valuation of IPTQ. They valued it at $2 billion with $370 million of premium. So to me, there is a market valuation multiple. Um, it's not the 18x of lemonade. It's 5x of gross written premium over a certain. Would that be something where you say, listen, guys, if you want to keep it simple, have a gross written premium multiple that is testament to what uh, public markets value in terms of market value and that is something that you need to focus on because otherwise it's around what am i not even premiums you know what's my technical profitability on a first year and then it's obviously really hard because most insurance executives never grew a business from scratch
0: <laughs> yeah no <laughs> that, always had that, a flow. that's a uh, that's a very good question i, I believe the, um, the there are two details First, how much of the premium that you are signing are really uh, what I call digital premium? We see a few players, for instance, here in France. They have huge numbers. Really, they have been on the ground for years. The truth is that most of the premium that they they sold were on the paper. I mean, like any broker at the the corner of the street. So can you um, value these kind of? handwritten premium, as for, again, a lucro, 100% of their policies are coming through their digital process. So here, it's purely digital, what I call digital premium. So I believe that th- there is a first question here, how much of your premium are really digital? That's and
1: a by that, you would mean, let's say you had a platform, let's say we were ensuring Deliveroo, yeah. and you would say that the if we're just ensuring a or if we're just insuring the platform on a b2b policy you know like a like a standard that would be not digital premium because there's really not that much going but if you were to issue individual policies or something yes. um, that would constitute digital
0: premium yes it, again it's all about the uh, the customer journey and, and and at the end the cost of acquisition mm. if uh, i mean when axa is partnering with uh, uber I believe that it's they, they are doing it what I call manually. Though, so again, there could be a PDF, there could be e-signature in the process, but at the end of the day, there is a sales process, a discussion. It's not half of, of the chef. It's not, uh, let's say, the final customer just subscribing online. So I believe that the, the major difference is what's the customer journey? Is the customer journey close to what incumbents are doing right now? And then it should be valued at the uh, multiple. In France, a few months ago, we had Aviva France that was valued uh, 3.2 billion euros. Um, so there is a kind of valuation for this kind of player um, because we know the, the number of customers that they have, the type of customer, the type of policies, and so on. Um, but that's the usual process, I would say. And for startups that are purely online, where I believe the cost of acquisition and the sales process or the sales journey is smoother, then there is another valuation. So I think it's the first point is how tech is, your, uh, is really your um, GWP. Yep. That's the first point. And, and the second point is, uh, the, 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 but it's related, it's the growth. At the end of the day, what people are valuing is the capacity to scale. Obviously, uh-huh. you are putting a price on your company today. But what we are buying as an investor is your capacity to grow. And we believe that in uh, three years for, from, now, from now, the company will have grown 10 times. But again, it's related because you don't grow 10 time, time in, th- in
2: 3 years period of time but you are doing things manually but if you if you were just let's say that that point and if you say okay capital markets are clever then 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 and, and you see the investments in in, in the insurtechs, and it doesn't matter if you take oh I even would say b2c then then the market says they will disrupt the big corporates um, uh, and 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 if you just would come back to let's say Clayton Christensen, I think we have to put it in the show notes. Um, why would the insurance space be different, especially because the old insurance corporates they cover everything, so and they have big uh, legacy. They they are not uh, uh, let's say. They don't have an international setup. So it's even more difficult than the examples Clayton Christensen takes from the computer industry or energy or steel mills, etc. So I really my, my, my personal opinion is that 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 in 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 the insurance space exactly the same will happen, which also happened with payments, for instance, in the in the banking space. And I really don't see at the moment that that this let's say, fear of missing out, so to say, uh, is there. So, and, and I really don't know why this is the case. And I thought, okay, you speak with all the corporate guys on the one hand who invest in your fund. And on the other hand, you see you see very, very smart young insurtech uh, entrepreneurs. And I really think, especially the second wave, which will come, they will disrupt those corporates faster than they ever did before.
0: Yes, I'm always surprised when I hear uh, Comex level saying InsurTech doesn't work. uh, Because again, that's not what figure says. Um, So I'm I'm really uh, data driven. I'm an engineer from background, so I have a bias here. Uh, I I believe in figures. Um, So so I I agree. Uh, I'm always amazed uh, when I hear uh, such feedbacks. But I believe that there are three points. So first, and again, our thesis is that insurance company will stay. They will have to change. Uh, And and long story short, the way we see the insurance space in, let's say, uh, a few years from now, Mm -hmm. um, which is related to how Telco are operating right now, by the way, is that at the end of the day, the last job for insurance will be to carry the risk which is by the way the the job uh, the current job of reinsurance companies hence okay, I then, I, really, then i then, you, I, to, then you, I
2: totally agree then i totally agree on what you say if they so, if if the corporates uh, let's say have the role like the re, reinsurance companies have now then i would totally agree but i don't know if the corporates will agree on that role
0: ah that's a good question so first few data points Munich, very active on the insurance scene in, since inception. Uh, Nico, you mentioned EPTQ from Swiss Re. I think it's a great example. We can take score very active in the UK with the uh, insurance tech startup. Hanover Re, they have a, a, even a platform uh, to celebrate uh, insurance tech startup, um, Aquarium or something like that, sorry for the, the misspelling. Um, so, so basically, they are very active, the reinsurance companies. And on the other hand, we have a perfect example, I believe, because that's not what they are saying publicly, but that's what I believe. Uh, in France, we have Covea, which is a tier one insurance company. They try to bot out a score. Then partner, Ray, uh, who's the next one? So we believe that this move that they are trying to do to move up alongside the value chain is the perfect example that, at the end of the day, they believe that the insurance job is to carry risk. So let's consider that this is the, the future. Again, when will it happen? I don't know. And in the meantime, what is very exciting about insurance, I believe, is that you don't need to own 10% of the market to make a, a multi-billion dollar company. Yeah, because huge market. The market is huge enough. So yeah. when I hear B2C-insure-tech uh, B2C startup or insure-tech startup is, is not working, the truth is that, again, if they take one percent of the market they, they could be profitable and the rationale behind is the the second point is that due to new it system due to new technologies their break even of the b2b or b2c uh, startup is way lower from the corporate so obviously a corporate see himself or itself saying okay i need millions of customers to make my it budget break even uh, uh, on the startup level Maybe you need, what, 200, 300K uh, customers. And back to what you mentioned, Nico, earlier on hundreds of mutual in France, I will take the example of health insurance. In France, you have plenty mutual that have been on the ground for years. And when I say four years, 50, 70 years that have less customers than Alan, InsureTech in health, which is on the ground for four or five years. So there are many players that are still alive, that have been live for years, and they are way smaller. So obviously, tier one players that have millions of customers are kind of laughing at InsureTech. And and I cannot disagree. They are very small compared to themselves. But again, be careful with the flow. Uh, Let's compare the flow. Um, But on the other hand, there are plenty players that are smaller than a few InsureTech players and that have been on the ground for years, and nobody is wondering whether they will still be there in a few years from now. They have been for years. So again, you don't need a huge market share to make yeah. a huge business in insurance. That's the magic, and that's why we are exciting about insurance. And due to new IT system, new technologies, you have a break-even, which is way lower than any incumbents. Yeah. Would yeah. you...
1: Because just to... To um, Tom's point. Um, do you, you know, you've been, you know, on the circuit, like myself, you know, uh, for, for quite a while. Do you feel that there has been a change in terms of FOMO, of insurance executives? And by that, I mean, you know, not the insurance, you know, there's not, not AXA as a, as a group, whatever, you know, but individual insurance executives, if I was an insurance executive right now, and I'm, I'm, I'm 36 as well, so let's say people in their late 30s, 40s, who still have 20 years career ahead of them, who are now graduated to a position of budget, of influence, and the two of us would probably own some form of P&L or be on the verge of it. Seeing everything that's going, you know, Corona, um, embedded insurance, in short,ex gaining these you know market shares and us actually losing out on RFPs, literally saying, "Listen, we I told you, I told you." And then let's face it, even if you have GuideWire installed, I haven't seen a single person said, "Great, now I can I can." You know, don't you? I mean, the people I'm talking to, there is a real FOMO. There's a kind of saying, "I'm it's nuts." I can marshal the resources, and I actually have a playbook. Because I just I don't need to get this better than Elam or you know Luco or get safe, I just need to get it equally. I don't need to be revolute to make my own neo bank, right? Because I can I can I can get with ninety percent. I can get there because I have my existing. Um, I think something has changed last year. Yes, I don't know. Do you see something similar, or is it kind of the same? No, uh, you know it'll it'll blow over.
0: <laughs> no, no, no. You're perfectly right. Uh, and uh, listening to you, uh, I was thinking about what happened obviously last year. Uh, I, I quite funnily, end of 2019, we were hearing from corporates that basically they were less in a, a POC uh, race. Uh, they were more and more saying, "Okay, we have money, we have time, and we want to focus on a limited number of projects, but where we need to have results." So it was a beginning of shift in the mindset. And obviously what happened last year when the world was was closed, long story short, what was, um, let's say, highlighted as the major competitive edge, meaning the network of agents, they were closed. So so the truth is that at the end of the lockdown last year, I remember it's Allianz, I think, in France, they, they, they announced a 90 million euros um, budget to, uh, to make their agents network embrace technology. And suddenly we realized that in a locked world, uh, physical and brick and mortar shops are not relevant in, anymore. So technology which was seen as either a POC race or a must have suddenly become a need. And and by the way, I mentioned that we launched Astoria.io, our scouting market watch activity uh, in September last year. Here is the rationale, because we suddenly were reached out by many insurance companies across Europe saying, "Okay, we need a a technology in that space. Could you help us find the right player in that uh, that position? And it was true alongside all the value chain. So we were, I, I would say, ahead, maybe two ahead of the market when we launched Astoria, really believing uh, that that we could invest, again, at this stage, in startups that would be mature in three to five years from our investment. And suddenly, there was a huge need and huge appetite from the market. Again, they are not changing everything. They are not interested in every part of the insurtech market. But the truth is that on one or two projects, most of insurance players across Europe are looking for tech solution. And I would say, unfortunately, it's related to what happened last year and the lockdowns where, again, we realize that technology is a need. And by the way, you mentioned embedded insurance, the proxy I have in mind is the e-commerce le- level uh, out of the retail market. It grew from 15, percent to 40, even 50% on several product categories. So
2: you cannot make as if, people haven't switched their behaviors. But it's not it's not a day one approach. I mean, if you just watch and Jeff Bezos, or you could also take Andy Groove of Intel, uh, only the paranoid survive. It's the interesting thing that the players who move fast and are extremely aggressive. Uh, Amazon wants to buy MGM today. Uh, 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 or if you see Mike Zuckerberg, enormously aggressive buying... Potential competitors exactly. And on the other hand, you have the big incumbents. And I, when I watch those people, I always say it's day seven, it's not even day two. So, so it's, they are so far away of, 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 let's say, of this, of this need to go much faster. Uh, And Nick always stresses the enormous distribution costs. If you compare this with other, uh, let's say, uh, sectors of industry, if you take retail, et cetera, where you have your margins of two or 5%, you have insure tech or insurance with 30%. This is, this, there, there is, it's is so obvious, it's such a no brainer that you can earn an enormous amount of money. Uh, uh, and, and all those big tech players, we even discussed this today, if, if, if really the Amazons and the Googles of this world will enter in this space, uh, if we already have seen in Asia, I really think, okay, you 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 really i'm really thinking if they are aware of a, it's a kind of kind of tsunami which will be uh, coming especially in europe where say so just wake up wake up guys you you have to really speed up yeah
0: i i think it's the downside of the stock market uh, the stock market i mean insurance is a stock business sorry it's not yeah. stock market stock business uh, obviously when you are making billions of profits every year. It's not that obvious yeah, a a problem. <laughs> that the startup will take your business or cut your leg. Because at the end of the day, it's that. If you sum up uh, all the insure tech players, first, as I mentioned earlier, individually, a few of them are directly competing with Tier 1 players. But let's take the insure tech market in itself If you sum up the the, the figures from all these players, it starts to be significant. Sometimes it's on several markets. It could be one million customers. One million customers start to be something. So obviously, it doesn't kill incumbents, but at least it cut their leg. So I I think it's the point. uh, And and it doesn't cut your leg (laughs) day one. It's step by step. So I believe. That's the downside of the, uh, the, the, the stock business. And by the way, that's why I'm so pushy on having the stock compared to flow. Um, yeah, sure, you right. I really believe that, uh, the, the, uh, again, by design, the stock will decrease. People will die at the end of the game. So whatever happened, yeah. or so far, people are dying at the end of the game. So that your stock will decrease by design. So you need to feed it with the flow. Hence, I believe that obviously having a stock is a strength, but to, before saying InsurTech doesn't work, you, uh, you should definitely have a look at the flow. And again, there are plenty of incumbents that have a flow of new customers that is way bigger than even the, the tier one InsurTech. So I'm not saying that everybody should be frightened, but again, the market is, is so diverse. Um, you have huge players, international players, with millions of customers. Are they a- at risk? Maybe not tomorrow morning, uh, maybe one day, or maybe never. But there are not only uh, AXA, Alliance uh, guys. There are also uh, a smaller players on the ground. And maybe these ones are more at risk. And so by the way, last point maybe, it's what we see on the M&A market. M&A is a kind of disappearance for a brand usually by the way when insurance companies are merging together usually the brands disappear and the new brand appear
2: that's right
1: so maybe as a as a kind of last statement or maybe piece of advice if you were tasked with you know the CEO or the person in charge of generating flow for an insurance company. And let's assume for the sake of it, it's not AXA or Allianz, right? Let's assume it's a, it's, it's a company. Let's, let's assume it's a mutual even. So let's assume it is entrepreneurial. It doesn't want to have short-term results. So let's move that out. What would you do? What do you think, what would be your first hundred days? Or what would you change, you know, in order to generate flow? Knowing what you know right now.
0: Again, back to the innovator dilemma. I would kick uh, off a team which is located outside of the headquarters, which has its own budget, uh, validated on a BP where on a business plan where year one you sell one policy, not zero, one. One means it's live, it works, but one meaning there is no expectation in terms of figures. And third point, with a new brand. With these three uh, topics, you can start really something. And then I would leverage on one existing product and try to reach out to a new customer segment. So take your core business. And again, it's just a, a way to build the new IT system from scratch. You will test it on a new customer base meaning that there is no internal competition nobody will come to you say okay you're you're taking my business uh, yeah, right. uh, you you should stop so here no competition you leverage the insurance skills because it's an existing product. So you can go to business lines and say, okay, can you explain me how you price it? What's the the core topic to assess the price and to underwrite or to to manage the claim for this kind of project. So you have the skills and you have the knowledge internally because this is an existing product. Just you are reaching to new customer segment where technology helps you again, decrease the cost, decrease the risk and decrease the pain. But again, first thing first, it should be outside, as much uh, as
2: possible. You just described what Clayton Christensen as only uh, a re- recipe um, yeah. says and also explains in his book.
0: But I worked. think it's Florian following.
2: Like... No, sorry. Go ahead.
0: No, we, we, are, we are working with a few uh, insurance companies that have this kind of setup. And it's working right now. Uh, it's not working because we are working with them. It's working because they have this setup. And, and, and that's why I mentioned its boss Depressing and exciting, uh, the, the book, uh, The Innovator Dilemma. Uh, deep, depressing because written 25 years ago and still relevant, but exciting because there is the receipt. Mm-hmm. And the receipt I mentioned before, it's not my receipt, it's the receipt from the book. That's what we are seeing at a few corporates. And by the way, the corporates that are issuing this kind of, of, um, of project, it's working. By the way, back to what you mentioned on EPTQ. EPTQ, doesn't sounds like Swissre, even the name. So I, I believe that uh, they, they a public publish. example of a team. I guess they are in the same building as the Swissre team. But anyway, the brand IPTQ, has nothing to do with uh, with uh, Swissre. So I believe, and, and we will see many and many examples um, uh, in the future. If you take, for instance, Societe Generale, bank insurance in France, they have an insuretech uh, startup. The name is Moonshot Internet.
2: There is nowhere Société Générale, and okay, the team is in the same building. Yeah, I see what happens. But the, but the interesting thing is, Iptiq and also Mune agree, they, the the ones, to our point of view, who did probably best or, or or moved first, were the reinsurance companies because they, they had the fear of being disrupted by the by the by the insurance companies, which is also interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I think that we will uh, But it's uh, another that's <laughs> another topic No, no, but we will Nick, have an increasing uh, competition here, I believe Nick I, always says, conscious of time
1: Yeah, conscious con- I, mean, I think this was the longest one but sorry, I think that was that. I think we went down exactly the right rabbit hole, right, and I think this was um, quite frankly, refreshingly candid, and not it depends, but you know, outside organization, year one had one life policy, because there's you cannot sell a fake product. Uh, okay. New brand, focus on one customer segment. And um, I I think that's that's really sound and, and, and really clear advice and basically have this as a self-contained entity. And if they manage to procure the right product from headquarters, great. If they get it from someone else, great. If they manage to cross sell into existing relationships, I'm sure that some particular relationships are, it, you know, are introduced by their client managers, but they're also not waiting for them and going there. And I think it's that plurality, but independence, because you need to remove excuses. Mm-hmm. Right, true. I mean, it's, as, as you're probably, when you're sitting on the board, you know, the founders need kind of say, well, I was, they, I was waiting for them. And you're like, well, okay, that's fair enough. But you know, what's plan B or plan C, you know, get moving. Um, awesome, I, I mean, um, this was, so so great and, and thank you so much for, for, for that insight. Um, I don't know, gentlemen, any any, any last, last words <laughs> before we wrap up for today?
2: After, after COVID, uh, we'll meet in Paris on a yeah. terrace and continue our discussion. The nice thing is that Zurich is very, uh, it's one of the few very fast connections. So looking forward to uh, yeah. continue our talks. I'm yes. really uh, le, 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 one last remark I, I often have the impression that the insurtech uh, entrepreneurs they have read uh, books like Clayton Christensen uh Innovator's Dilemma and if you if you confront people who are in this corporate they just often they haven't even uh, read the stuff but uh, I don't know if in France if it's different but
0: no it's always the same that, that's why it's my uh last slide usually in any presentation just saying okay don't forget to read it um, I, I mean beyond uh, quoting it in uh, in Twitter or LinkedIn but reading it for for real uh, and and maybe last word thanks a lot uh, uh, to to you for that discussion very enthusiastic looking forward to having the follow-up uh, in real life and by the way the conclusion is that there is so much to be built in insurance. That's Incredible. really exciting, either on the tech scene or on the incumbent scene as well. And, and I really believe, hence, uh, again, our job as an investor, we strongly believe that there is a match here between technology on one side uh, and uh, business knowledge and business skills on the other side. So really excited about the, the near future in insurance and insurtech. Thank you Likewise. Florian, Tom, thank you so much for your time. Um,
1: it was a pleasure and yeah see you on the circuit (laughs) take care
0: (laughs) (laughs) bye